Let's go to the Word of God. We're back in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews 10. And I'll give him time. He's got to uh, pull up a, a little PowerPoint. Uh, with that said, guys, uh, again, lots of stuff going on. Great outreach yesterday morning. Basketball, open gym. We had some folks out here. Dr. Shook gave the gospel. Clear presentation. Appreciated that. Those that helped serve. Uh, Maria, Tyson, uh, Quinn, uh, Nate. Uh, did I miss anybody? Everybody that was supported that, I appreciate it so much. And then last night, back to school blast, pool party. Did you kids like the pool party? Yeah. Woohoo! Made a splash. I saw that. That's good. That's good. I appreciate y'all being there. Good time. And um, again, praying for the college and career group tomorrow night for those opportunities. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and look in the Word of God and begin our reading this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Father, I pray that your word would not return void. Lord, I know uh, many here today, self-included, a little mentally and physically tired, uh, late nights, early mornings this week. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, in spite of those things, you will give us spiritual attentiveness. I pray that you will fill me with your spirit, Lord, that you will help me to preach in your power to proclaim your truth. I pray for our hearts and our ears to hear 
that we would not just be listeners, hearers of the word, but we would be doers. Lord, apply this message to our hearts. Help us to see what it is you want us to see in this text. Encourage our faith today as we gather here to worship you, as we gather to draw near to you. Draw near to us. Help us, Lord, to be illuminated in the understanding that we might see Christ and that we might make Christ known. So, Father, thank you for this precious time. Thank you for those that are here. And may you receive full glory and honor as of what's done here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God desires all of you, your ear and your body. Now that will unfold in a little while as we kind of go through this text this morning. Uh, let me go ahead and give you a little outline. For those of you who like to write this down, I'll go ahead and click to it. Uh, this is, Lord willing, where we're going to go this morning uh, in, in our scripture. We're going to look at the insufficient sacrifices, and we're going to find that in verses 1 through 4. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Then we're going to look at the incarnate substitute, found in verses 5 and 10. And then last, we're going to see the infinitely sanctified, verses 11 through 18. Now, as you know, we've been studying Hebrews. For all of you folks that maybe aren't familiar with what's been going on in the book, quick review. The writer, the author, is trying to compel the listener to understand that the Old Testament practices of sacrifices and the Levitical system, the Mosaic law that the Jewish people were under, is fading away. It's obsolete. Because the things that those pointed to, the types and shadows that were seen in the worship of the old temple practice, the old tabernacle practice, they have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come. He has fulfilled the law perfectly. He has gone to the cross of Calvary and He has offered His body once for all. It's done. It stretches from the beginning of time to the end of time. That's how worthy his sacrifice is. This is why, Christian, it's vital for you and I to understand the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. When we somehow arrogantly think that we can remove ourselves from the hands of God because of something we do, is in essence saying to Jesus Christ, your blood is not sufficient for that sin or this sin. It's saying that the sacrifice has not completed its job. We need to be real careful of that teaching. And that is a prevalent teaching that rests below the surface in a lot of good churches. And if we trace that to its end, you might could even make the legitimate argument that makes it a works-based salvation. Because if I can do something to lose it, it implies that I have to do something to gain it. Or I have to do something to keep it. I have to do something to maintain it. And that is a perverted gospel, says Paul. Now I want to be real careful because, again, ultimately God is the authority on that because He's given us His authority in the Word. And He says His grace is sufficient. This argument that the writer in Hebrews is making is this very point. Those Jewish people that were receiving this letter, 
the ones who were fence straddlers, not sure yet, they've not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, they've not been born again from the Spirit of God, they are struggling with the pull of the scoffer who has rejected Christ's sacrifice. They're going to stay with the old system. They're going to stay in the temple practices. They're going to keep offering goats. They're going to keep offering the animal sacrifices. Hey, that's what they're comfortable with. That's what they're used to. There are a lot of people who never grow in their Christianity, never get to the point to where they need to get to because they're afraid. They're fearful of the unknown. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to open up. They, so they, they, they just kind of rest in where they know and what they know and where they're comfortable. Guys, be careful with that in your walk. And in this case, in, the, in this example here, we see, again, these people were, they were entrenched. The scoffer was. They're, they've rejected Christ. But the fence straddler, and, and no doubt many in, in all three camps potentially here today, they've sat. They've heard about Christ. They've reasoned through the scriptures. They're now hearing the argument being laid out with passion and pleading from the writer that Christ is sufficient. Many of you today confronted with the same truth. Will you leave here today rejecting the only means of salvation? The only satisfying and sufficient atonement? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. You rest with that question. And then there's those who, who are believers in trying to contend earnestly for the faith and deal with others of their culture who, who are their Jewish family and friends who they love and they want to plead with and they want to reason with. Just like you have family and friends and others of, of other groups that maybe see things a little differently that you need to plead with and encourage in hopes that they too will come to the understanding that the writer is wanting them to come to. And that's important. And so the writer continues his argument. And he's trying to say, look, Jesus Christ is greater than the prophets of old. He's greater than the, the practices of the tabernacle. He's, he's greater than the, than the elements of the tabernacle. He's greater than the priests. He's, he's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's of the line of Melchizedek. No beginning, no end. These, is, these are the arguments that he's been laying out over and over and over. And here in Hebrews 10, I know you say, well, haven't we gone over this before? This sounds familiar. Gang, repetition, repetition, repetition. When there's only one answer, what else are you going to give? And I will revisit it, and I will revisit it, and I will revisit it. Because it's worth revisiting. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be shared. And it must be shared with passion. And that's what I see going on in this writing. He is doing everything under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to plead with his audience. So notice, if you would, the first point. The insufficient sacrifices, verses 1 through 4. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come. So again, he makes it real clear. That mosaic law stuff you guys are wanting to go back to and hold on to, that, that was just a shadow. That was a shadow of the good things to come. Got news for you, the good things come. His name's Jesus. Don't hold to the shadow, embrace the substance. That's his point. So, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Uh, this is where the word icon comes 
and, and, and it's kind of cool. You, you know, this past week we had the solar eclipse. Solar eclipse of the heart. Oh, sorry, it's bad. Different words there. All right. But you remember what happened on the solar eclipse, right? You got the glory of the sun, S-U-N, and then you had the moon moving in front, hiding, covering, if you will. Well, there's this idea and understanding here, which, by the way, a little Junior, I give Junior some credit. Junior, you're back there this morning. Hey! Um, he, he wrote me a little inbox, and I appreciate it. If nothing else, here's what I appreciate about the fact that he wrote me in the middle of the week. He wrote me to talk about the sermon from a week and a half before. Man, that's good stuff. Hey, your shepherd's heart gets warmed when the sheep are chewing on food. Like a cow, you know, regurgitating it like three times, you know, chewing a little deeper. That's meditation, folks. That's meditation. And he was meditating on it, and I appreciate it. And he talked about how, you know, it's sort of like you, you had to have some special glasses to look at the, at the eclipse. And he talked about how much more do we need a filter before we look at the glory of God. We can't even begin to enter into that presence. And guys, the, the idea is laid out here in this passage. Jesus Christ, His atonement, His sacrifice, His covering for us allows us to be able to come into the very presence of the glory of God. It shields us, it protects us. We could, ne we could never stand in His presence apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we need that. And anyway, we see here in the text he, that he goes on, he says that, that uh, the, this was the shadow of the good things to come, the law was, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, notice how often they offered them. Because guys, this is a big argument in the text. This is one of the writer's biggest arguments. So if you want eternal security argument, he's making this argument for you. The old Levitical system, the law, was a yearly, in, out, in, out, in, out, yearly, in, out, in, out. And other things, it was a daily kind of stuff. But this atonement, day of atonement, was yearly compared to what Jesus has done once for all. See that contrast. There's a major contrast in this scripture. Yearly, in other words, continually. Continually versus complete. That's the argument. Continually versus completed. Now, I don't know about you. I would prefer to go with completed. So, he says here, uh, you can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Here's my question. What is the goal? What's the goal? The goal here is perfection. The goal, if you want to stand in the presence of God, because by the way, all this is talking about, go back to you know the, the, the outer uh, uh, of the tabernacle, then you went into the sanctuary, the tent of meeting, and then you moved into the Holy of Holies, and that, the, the great high priest could only go in there once a year, right? And remember, he had to be right or he's coming out quick. The idea was to move us into the presence of God. These temporary sacrifices did not do that. They did not gain us access into the presence of God. They temporarily covered us to protect us from His wrath, from His judgment. And by an act of faith, those people did that. Now, some of them did it superficially, and their heart wasn't in it. 
And some of them did it, no doubt, wholeheartedly from a place of faith. Newsflash, people are still worshiping God the same way. Some of you come in here superficially on Sunday and go through the motion. It's a tradition. It's just what you do. Your heart's not in it. Oh, our lips are close and we sing our praises, but your heart is far from Him. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. But I also recognize that in a crowd this size, that there are those who are truly drawing near because they want to hear from God. They want to know God. They want to come into His presence. We want to worship Him. We want to know Him. We want to be known by Him. And the sacrifices, and this is what the writer in Hebrews is saying, those temporary sacrifices didn't do it. They didn't make it. You didn't reach the goal. It wasn't perfection. Guys, if perfection's the goal, you and me are in trouble. As if you couldn't tell, pastor's not perfect. Some of you have seen my dance moves. You know what I'm talking about. Right? My wife just gave me this. I'm in trouble. So, hey, but we're not perfect. But we need to be perfect. So we got a dilemma. How are we going to be perfect? Well, it's not going to be by our own self-righteous efforts. That's for sure. So the author is writing here that there is, a, that there is an insufficiency there's a, in the sacrifices that are being offered. And, and he makes this point. He says, year by year they do this. Notice verse 2. For then... They make those, let me back it up. They can never with these sacrifices, the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? Oh, that's a great point. He's asking you a question. If those sacrifices would have worked, why are you still doing it? I mean, that's a legitimate argument. If it took care of the job, if you reached the goal, then why are you still doing it? Now again, remember his audience he's writing to. So he's making this argument. They should have been going, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that. Probably just like that, with that accent. So, notice he says, for then they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no conscience, consciousness of sins. And remember, he's made this argument in the previous chapter. But, but he's saying, look, if those sacrifices were sufficient, then you wouldn't be coming back every year. Your conscience would be clean. You'd be pure. You'd have access into the presence of God. But have you? No. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, look, not only are you not clean in your conscience, not only do you know, you know in your heart of hearts, you know that you're not right with God in, in perfection, because of animal sacrifices? You know that? You keep doing it every year, so that's a reminder. Every, just imagine. Well, 
we got to offer some more sacrifices, make sure those sins are covered from last year. And, uh, you know, let's get us through till next year. We'll come back and do it again. And no doubt the true worshiper, as they offered this animal without blemish and spot, that they were reminded that it was death and how bad their sin was and that they desperately needed the forgiveness of a holy God. The true heart of a worshiper, though, knew that even though there was a temporary satisfaction in the appeasement of the conscience, there was no removal of the sin. They would have to do it again. But they did it in faith because they trusted that one day, just as Abraham provided in the situation with Isaac, he would provide a sacrifice. They knew one day a Messiah would come. They were trusting, and by acts of faith, they went and did this ritualistic worship because of what it represented, because it was a shadow of the icon, the very image to come, Jesus Christ. They knew the Messiah was coming, and so by faith they did this. They believed God, and it was counted unto them for righteousness. And so... Even though the animal sacrifices were insufficient, and the writer of Hebrews is arguing and making the point that it's not possible for the bulls, for the for the blood of bulls and goats to take away that sin. It's a reminder. And the conscience has not yet been purified. There's not been perfection. So we look at the next point: the incarnate substitute. So we recognize there's a problem. We need perfection. And so now we look at the incarnate substitute. So notice what the writer does here to make his argument in response to the questions he's raised. Since there's insufficient sacrifices going on, therefore, verse 5, therefore when he came into the world, you better underline that one, therefore when he came into the world, he said, oh, whoa, wait a minute now. We're going to get as deep as we'd like to get this morning, but you mark this down and go home and study this section. You theologians, you. You're going to like this one. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Question. Who's saying this? This is the interactive part. Jesus! Yes! Hold your spot. Everybody go over to Psalm 40. The writer of Hebrews is quoting an Old Testament passage written by David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if we go over to Psalm 40, Psalm 40, look if you would in verse 6 through 8. It may sound familiar. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. 
burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your law is within my heart. The writer is quoting Psalm 40. But he accredits it to Jesus Christ. We know David wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And of course we'll see the Father here in the text too. So good argument for the, de- for the Trinity in the text that we're looking at in Hebrews. Again, the deity of Christ is on display as well. So there's some good theological truths here. But you probably picked up on something. There's a difference, isn't there? Why is it that in the Old Testament passage and in the Hebrews passage it reads a little different? What's the difference? Two words is at the heart of it. In the Old Testament he uses one word. What is the word? Ear. And what does he use in Hebrew? Body. That's why y'all can't trust that book. It got it wrong. It's, it's contradiction. Contradiction in terms. Different meanings. The body's not the same as the ear. I even I know that. Said the professor. If you got a professor like that, you need to change colleges. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yes, thank you, sir. Anyway, I'll, yeah. <laughs> thank you, professor. So... What's, the, what's going on here? And again, some people would try to make this a big mountain. Guys, there's a great point here. And again, I I'm not going to be able to go into all of this here. So if you people like to study this out, this is a good little section to study. But I am going to give you enough to at least try to answer and satisfy what's going on here. First off, let me just say this as a side note. This is why we don't get caught up in the translation argument. Okay, guys, don't get sucked into the translation argument. The Hebrew writer, we believe, is quoting the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek rendering, which they would have had in the day, of the Old Testament, of the oracles of God, the written at that point what they had. And so, let me give you a little thought here. This is from Homer Kent uh, on the epistles uh, to Hebrew. I want you to listen to this. In the quoted line, a body you prepared for me, a problem exists. The Old Testament at Psalm 46 has the words, Mine ears hast thou opened. Which, by the way, that would be a King James translation. Mine ears hast thou opened. The Septuagint says, the Greek rendering, says, A body you prepared for me. And in the Septuagint, Psalm 39.6 says this. The epistle to the Hebrews has followed the Septuagint's rendering. One must first ascertain what the psalmist meant. Although it's frequently suggested that the basis lay in the custom of boring a servant's ear to indicate that he has voluntarily renounced his freedom, Exodus 21.6, Deuteronomy 15.17, the use of the plural ears makes this reference unlikely. More probable is the explanation that the Septuagint has interpreted the Hebrew idiom and thus conveys properly its thought. The fact that Hebrew cites this rendering would support the idea that the Septuagint translation was a legitimate paraphrase. The psalmist meant that God has shaped 
his ears and had made them responsive to his will. This thought was expressed in paraphrase in the Septuagint, which stated that God had prepared the psalmist's body so that he might perform the will of God. No contradiction, gang. In fact, a very great answer to that question and a definitely a great response when it comes to weighing the translation argument. So, what's the point? Here's the point. Don't get lost in the ear and the body. Jesus Christ came to do the will of God. That's what He came to do. That's clear no matter what that translation is. And so, we see the incarnate substitute. The incarnation, verse 5, He came into the world. We also see the inspiration. Notice back over in Hebrews. Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Now, that doesn't mean... Because again, didn't God orchestrate this? Isn't God one who put in the, the mosaic system? That seems a little, a little odd, doesn't it? Well, why, why does He not have pleasure in that? Again, it wasn't... Don't miss what's being conveyed here. It's not that th those things weren't satisfying. That's not what they were there for. They weren't there to be perfect. They weren't there to complete the project. They weren't there to bring satisfaction. They were simply there to point your attention to faith in God, faith in Christ who was coming. They were never meant to be the substance. They were only meant to be the shadow. And so many people were again... The Hebrew writer knows they're going back into it. They were trying to find satisfaction in it. And that was not where the pleasure was to be found. And so God is, again, making this point. Then I said, again, giving credit here to Christ, speaking these words. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do the will of God. Guys, this book... Old Testament to New Testament is about the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. The volume is written of Him. You want to know God better? Some of you struggle, well, if God is real, I just, wish he'd make him, I just wish He'd make Himself known to me. He's made Himself known to you. And we don't bother talking to Him because we don't bother listening to Him. We don't bother opening the book and reading it. We don't bother meditating on it. We don't listen and pour over the pages and study it. Lord, forgive us. And these people were loving their traditions more than they were loving the truth. They didn't want to be vulnerable. They didn't want to be uh, open. They didn't want to find themselves at a place to where they could be real, genuine, authentic in their faith. And that's tough, guys. And we fight that because we're in a fleshly body. With every wound we get, it becomes harder, doesn't it? But Christ bore all our wounds. All to Him I owe. Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you've prepared for me. 
In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Notice verse 8. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What's his point? Verse 9, he came to do God's will to take away the first. What's the first? It's those baby elementary things we were talking about, the Old Testament. I appreciated Nate's message last week. By the way, I watched that um, on Monday. Awesome job. And I appreciate the feedback that the church body has been giving in response to that. Many of you ordering your quiet time books, um, how important it is for us getting on the same page um, as a family of God, as a group of believers, and to know that each day as we're going through the Word of God and we're meditating on the Word of God and we're responding to what God's saying through His Word, that collectively we as a church family are on the same page. And then for uh, men, spiritual leaders of the home, being able to talk to our families in regards to the same thing they're reading. How important that is. Ladies, in, 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 in raising your children and, and talking to your kids, no matter what their age is, about these things. This is important stuff. This is God's intent. This is the will of God, that we would know Him and make Him known. And so I'm excited about that, and I appreciated that very much, that great message that he brought in that, and how God's using that to, to again, draw us near. The will of God is being played out. To do God's will, to take away the first, that Old Testament practice, and establish the second, the new covenant. And that's what he's talking about here. Jeremiah 31, 34. You remember, this is what he's been talking about in previous chapters, the new covenant in his blood. The old's faded, the new has come. Andrew Murray in The Holiest of All, page 332, says the following. Jesus was filled with one thought. God prepared me this body. I have it for His disposal, for His service, for His glory. The body came from God. It belongs to Him. It has no object of existence but to please Him. The one value my body has is that I can give it a sacrifice to God. Andrew Murray. Guys, do you understand that in application here as we read through this, as Christ has called us to himself, as those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have by faith come to God because we now have access because of the once for all sufficient sacrifice? God's desire now is for us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Well, we see the incarnate substitute. So what's the point? What's the point of this incarnate substitute? To do the will of God. Jesus Christ, think about this. If you tuned out, tune in. Think about this. We say all the time, we look at the negative aspect of what Jesus did. In other words, well, Jesus died to take away my sin. That's the negative aspect, my sin, the negative aspect. And we think about that that's what his atoning work did. It, 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 it was to 
cover my sin, to remove my sin. But guys, we, we kind of miss and don't think about the positive aspect. Jesus hung on the cross and he said, I didn't do away with the law, I fulfilled the law. If perfection is the entry fee, Jesus paid it. Do you know the positive is that we receive his righteousness? You and I, as believers in Christ, positionally are perfect. This is where the word saint comes from. And by the way, in the New Testament, you are referenced, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a born-again believer, you are a saint. I'm not talking New Orleans. Don't get excited over there, D. But we are saints. Positionally, right now, when God the Father looks because of who Christ is, His Son, we are covered by His righteousness. That's why... The sacrifice has been made. That's why the tent of tabernacle has been laid down, the body of Christ. That's why you and I now have access into the Holy of Holies. And He invites you and me to come at any time with boldness. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. The veil's been rent from top to bottom. God has reached down to mankind and said, Whosoever will, let them come. The door's been wide open, and His name is Jesus Christ. Guys... Do you understand what that means? We stand clothed in righteousness, not our righteousness, because those are filthy rags. But I am wrapped in the perfection of His Son. That's how beautiful the sacrifice is. It doesn't just take away my sin as far as the East is from the West. It provides me what I need to be and know my heavenly Father. Apart from that, we're in trouble. All right. Some of you are in trouble already because you're getting hungry. I heard, I heard my stomach growling. Or was that yours? Anyway. Well, let's, let's press on then. This last point. The infinitely sanctified. Look in verses 11 through 18. I'm just going to read through it and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, what man? Jesus Christ. After he had offered one sacrifice, how many sacrifices did Jesus offer? One. One. He ain't coming back to offer himself a sacrifice again because I blow it tomorrow or you blow it tomorrow. He had offered one sacrifice for sins. When? How? Huh? Circle that word. Forever. 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 Sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever. <laughs> Guys, did you get that? He is perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. The tense and word that's used here gives the indication that it's an act that's done in the past that continues on to the future. It's done. It's finished. Yes, we're in a process, but this phrase also gives us the positional 
We're not perfect yet in that you are without sin. We, we still stumble in these bodies. But guys, hear what the writer is saying. Positionally in Christ, the finished work is done at the cross of Calvary and that stretched forever to the Old Testament past, to the New Testament future, forever. His sacrifice is sufficient. So when we receive eternal life, eternal is only God. Therefore, if I receive anything eternal, it must be from God. And if I get eternal life, that means I got an eternal being's life. Whose life did I inherit? The moment I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the second of the Godhead. I received new life. The new covenant gives me a new heart. It gives me a new conscience. It gives me, let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. I am now a new creation in Christ. Therefore, old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. Guys, do you understand the inheritance we have received the moment we believe? I don't need a second level. I don't need to get baptized in, in, in the water and to get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. You get that when you believe. You get the whole of the Holy Spirit the moment you believe. You are baptized into the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God indwells you and seals you. Because his sacrifice is sufficient once for all. And it's an offer. Whosoever will, let them come. We are infinitely sanctified because of who Christ is. Not because of who we are. What was his purpose? We see it here. But this man offered one sacrifice. Sins forever. Sat down. It's done from that time waiting. Now see, again, this is great. We get past, present, and future. Fight's over. God's won. And eventually, one day, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Isn't that awesome? It don't matter who you are. I got news flash for you, people. People of the world, terrorists, racists, dictators, presidents, church leaders, pastors, pew sitters, servants. My question is. When will we bow our knee? When will our tongues confess? Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, while the offer is extended to whosoever will let them come, or in the day when you have no choice but to fall flat on your face before a holy God, He's coming again, and the next time is to make His enemies His footstool. Don't wait to surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Give Him your ear to do His will today. Give Him your body to surrender to be a living sacrifice today. That's our purpose. And that's His purpose for you. Conclusion. The insufficient sacrifices of the Old Testament, the incarnate substitute, Jesus Christ, and the infinitely sanctified, once for all, it's done. 
Jesus fulfilled the law. It's finished. He calls you and I to come by faith. Take up your cross and follow Him. We are in Christ to do the will of the Father. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that. You can look it up later. I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. This, look, this is your whole acceptable, it's, it's your reasonable act of worship. It's not even unreasonable what He's asking of us. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Guys, that sufficient sacrifice also gives you the positive that you and I can't do in our own strength. I can never love my neighbor as I ought to. I never will, as long as I'm on this side of, of heaven. Now, the Spirit of God indwells me and enables me in those moments when I'm walking by the Spirit to do that. But ultimately, I'm dependent upon His positive deposit to love my neighbor as I should and to love God the Father as I should only by the grace of God that he's given us can we do this so as we get ready to close I challenge us with this where are we in our walk where am I before a holy God am I doing the will of God you're put here for a purpose. It's to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Church, let's be surrendered to the will of God in our life that we might make much of Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. <laughs> thank You for Christ, His substitution. and The only reason why we're able to enter into perfection and, and your presence is because of your provision Lord forgive us when we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, when we don't love you as we ought help us to walk by faith not by sight help us to grow in our faith as we get these quiet times Lord may we truly set aside time as a family as individuals drawing near to you and then as a church that corporately uh, we will live out those things that we're learning as you chip away at us, knock off the rough edges, help us to love one another. Help us to give forgiveness that you've given to us. In spite of us, may we do the same. We love you, Lord. Ask your blessing on the close of this and the business meeting to follow. May you receive glory and honor in all that's done in Jesus' name. Amen.